0: Well, amen. Thank you. Thank you, church. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Ryan, John, all of our instrumentalists and uh, vocalists earlier. And Thank you, church. I heard your voices. You were singing quite well there. And uh, I am encouraged by the voices of the church because it's a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. But you know the, there's going to be a lot of singing in heaven. Uh, if you've read, read Revelation, there's a lot, of, a lot of praise, a lot of adoration lot of singing going on, and I, I heard your voices, particularly on that last song, as the instrumentalist kind of backed out for a moment, and it reminded me, or gave me a, an image, of, perhaps, of a foretaste of what heaven will be like when we hear the voices lifted to our King. I can't, I can't wait for that day. Um, but until that day, God has given us His Word to sustain us, and to strengthen us, and to challenge us, and let us know who He is, and we're Working our way through Mark's Gospel, we find ourselves in the 12th chapter today, beginning in verse 28. And as you're turning there, I want to say a couple of things in the way of announcements. First, it's great to see Amy Perdue this morning. Someone give me an amen. Uh, As you know, her husband Larry uh, has been battling an aggressive form of cancer. and uh, He's recovering still, but on his way to recovery, and that alone is a miracle of god and how far god has brought him as a testimony to his grace and his goodness continue to pray for larry uh for his healing for his appetite and also uh sheriff eric orange reminded me that this saturday there's going to be a strongman competition on our church campus uh i think it starts around noon is that right brother Nine o'clock registration is at nine o'clock it's a it's a fundraiser for uh, Virginia Special Olympics, and so if you're interested in stopping by and helping out with that, just paying that, uh, I would encourage you to come by. And also, if you need more information, check out check in with Sheriff Orange at the end of the service, and he has all those details for you. So Mark 12, verse 28 and following. Mark 12, verse 28 and following. In a sermon that I've titled "The Greatest Commandment," that was. Thank you. <laughs> That one brother, I appreciate that, right? There's two commandments and they hang together inseparably. We'll talk about that momentarily. Verse 28, if you've got your Bibles, uh, whether you turn there, scroll there, flip there, whatever, join me in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is here, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one. And there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are the end of the questions and that you are the door to the kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to take your word and cause it to be heard this morning. God, we don't want to have deaf ears. We don't want to have itching ears. We want to have ears that will hear from heaven today. God, change us. For the glory of Christ. Make us more like Jesus. As a result of having been here this day. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. You know in chapter 12. Jesus has been facing the questions. Question after question. After question. Last week it was about the resurrection. and Now yet another question. Awaits him. But this time it's not from a group of people. It's just from one scribe. Right verse 28. Just one of them comes to Jesus. And. His motives seem to be purer than the groups that had come to him earlier, which is typical in our experience, right? It's often that groups will get together and they'll bring an accusation or a charge and it doesn't matter what the answer is because they've already predetermined that they won't hear anything other than what they've already determined to hear. But in this case, we have a scribe who for whatever reason comes to Jesus alone. And his motives seem to be more pure because Jesus interacts with him in a different way than the way in which he is interacted with the groups. He, he comes because he's overheard the discussion with the Sadducees and he recognizes, he sees that Jesus answers well. Do you see that word in verse 28? It means he answers correctly or rightly. His argument made sense. And as we've been looking for a student pastor who will help parents and guardians and students in this process, in this journey of the Christian life, part of that means we're looking for a man who will help equip students to answer the world's objections to Jesus in a Christ-like way. And answering the world's objections in a Christ-like way does not just mean to answer in a loving way. It also means to answer well. It means we want a man who will help our students to be ready to give a defense to anyone, 1 Peter 3.15, For the hope that is within them, so that people like this scribe will be compelled both by the love that they show and also the truth that they proclaim as they proclaim it well. So this lone scribe comes with good motives and a good question. It's a question that clarifies things as questions about rank or position often do. Whether it's arts or sports or literature, the highest mountain or the deepest trench we want to know who or what is the greatest of all time we want to know who's the goat if it's basketball we know it's michael jordan sorry all you lebron fans that's right praise the lord but but whatever it is we want to know who's the greatest we want to know what's the standard and knowing what is the greatest or first helps clarify everything else it puts everything else in perspective if you to this afternoon where to say, I'm going to go hike up Mill Mountain. When you got to the summit, you would feel like you'd accomplished something. You would feel pretty remarkable. And then if someone came along and said, guess what? You're only a third of the way up the mountain. You'd say, what are you talking about? Well, the mountain they'd be referring to as Mount Everest. When you get to the top of Mill Mountain, you wouldn't even be a third of the way up of Mount Everest. And what the scribe is saying is this. Jesus Enough with all the questions, enough with all the debate, enough with all the frustration on the way to the cross. Just tell me, what is the Mount Everest of life? What do I really need to get in order to get it? Of all the commands, which is the first of everything? It's interesting, the word all in verse 28 doesn't refer to the commandments. It refers to, the, to everything, the whole of life. What, what the scribe asks is this. Out of all the commandments that exist... Which is the one that's at the front of the line of everything that I am and everything that I hope to be? Now I submit to you church, that's a great question to ask. Out of all the commandments that exist, what's the one at the front of the line of all that I am and all that I hope to be? And Jesus' answer shows us that in order to live a life that pleases God, we must hear who God is. Secondly, we must love God supremely. Thirdly, we must... Love others sincerely. And finally, we must enter the kingdom through Christ, our substitute. First, we must hear who God is. Verse 29. Jesus answers the scribe's question by quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. For the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, these verses were called the Shema. The word Shema is the Hebrew word for hear or the Hebrew word obey. In, in Hebrew, there's no distinction between the concepts of listening and obey. Now, I don't know about you, but in my household, we have to tell my kids not only to obey, but to listen and obey. Hear what I'm saying and also do it. But in, in Hebrew, the, the concepts are identical. To listen is to obey. To obey is to listen. And, and what Jesus is saying is when our hearts and minds are open to hear the reality of who God is, That is when our hearts will be stirred to obey Him. Jesus' answer is that we've got to hear about God. And we've, we've got to get it right about God in order to obey the God who is. To know and glorify and love and enjoy God forever. We've got to know which God we're talking about. Because if we get it wrong about who God is, we cannot actually love God and fulfill this commandment. And the lives that we are building, if we're not building them based on a love for God, are built on a love for something else. Which means our lives will be like houses built on sand. And when the adversity and the trials of the world come, they will crumble under their weight. Husbands, we know this, right? That we cannot love our wives if we don't hear about and know who they are. This The same is true when it comes to God. God wants us to love Him for who He is and what He's... Done for us. And so we must hear about this God. And the word hear doesn't mean just to hear one time. It means to hear and to keep on hearing. And what is it that Jesus wants us to hear? The Lord our God is one Lord. And notice who the commandment is given to. It's given to Israel. To the church of God. It's given to to a community of the saints. The local church has to be a community where we are talking about who God is. We need to hear over and over again about God in the totality of our lives. Beginning in verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses continues by saying this, "...these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house." And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Did you know that Sunday's sermon is not enough? Did you know a morning devotion is not enough? Did you know occasionally getting a word from God is not enough? God wants us to hear that the Lord our God is one Lord Over and over and over again. And I submit to you, church, that that some of us aren't doing very well in this respect, right? You've got the morning rush, and you've got breakfast, and you've got to get to work, and the long school day, and the sports practices, and the homework, and the emergency project. When is there time to hear of the greatness of our God who allows us to be His, that He would be our God? I want to challenge you, church, to rethink how it is that you will meditate on and hear and think about the fact that God is our God. The God that we need to hear about and think about is not a God of our invention or our imagination. He's a God who's given us His name. And his name is Yahweh. He is the Lord. He's revealed himself in the Bible so that we can be his. So that we may enjoy the astounding privilege of calling him the God of the universe and the ruler of all nations. Our God. I don't know about you, but I haven't gotten over that. That that God says that he will be your God. That he's come to uh, be personal in your life that you can rely upon him and call upon him and that you can know his name and that know, know that he will stand with you in the fire if you are his. I, I, I know we're not a Pentecostal church, but sometimes they have the piano player and the preacher gets going. This is a moment like I was, pre- I was preparing this sermon and I was like, God is my God. And that's exciting to me. Like somebody needs to say amen right now. or I'm going to have to amen. My own. He is your God. The Lord our God. The God who made heaven and earth. The sea and the dry land. He came down out of heaven to rescue you. To substitute his life for you. He is your God. And the God that loves you is a God who wants to be loved by you. Now I want to correct an error that that's out there in the world today and it's it's this there are people that say that that God is that knowing God and loving God is a bit like four blind men who bumped into an elephant you've heard the story one grabs the trunk and he concludes that the elephant is a snake the other grabs the tail and he concludes the elephant is a rope another grabs the elephant's leg and he concludes the elephant is a tree and at last The last blind man runs into the elephant's side and he concludes the elephant must be a really big brick wall. Now the goal of this story is to tell us that different religions and different religious texts point to the one same God just in different ways. But do you know what's wrong with that analogy? The elephant is an elephant. He's not a snake or a tree a rope or a wall. Secondly, the men who are bumping into the elephant are blind, and blind men need someone to help them see. And the God of the universe, Wants to be personally connected to us and so he gives us the one book that reveals his one son and he pours out his one Holy Spirit that we might behold Christ and see how wonderful and beautiful and powerful he is. We don't have many gods out there that are actually one God. We have one God and to love rightly and worship rightly and stand before him on the last day we've got to know and love and worship the right God. Different religions are not different ways of looking at the same God. They are lies and deceptions that lead people to love wrongly and to suffer eternally. And that is why we talk about missions at North Roanoke Baptist Church. We will not be content to just know that God is our God because we want our God to be their God. Because their gods will disappoint in the day of the judgments. The Lord our God is one God. Which means secondly that we must love God supremely. There's nothing greater than God to love, and so we must love Him. Because God is exclusively God, our lives should be completely His. He has no rival, He has no equal, and our lives should reflect that reality. But let's be candid with ourselves this morning. The idols competing for our attention are numerous, are they not? When we are not truly compelled and led and filled by the Holy Spirit, when we... Give in to the small sins that become bigger sins. We then sacrifice our lives to idols and forsake the God who brought us up out of slavery to sin and death. I asked for your help this week on Facebook to tell me some of the idols that we wrestle with. And here's what you said. Television. Children. Grandchildren. Cell phones. Cars. Houses. Bank accounts. Travel leagues. Sports. Time. Entertainment. Professional athletes. Hobbies. Hobbies. Food, sleep, Uh uh-oh, somebody went to meddling on that one. Depression and stuff. I'd like to add these. Power, fame, politics, financial security, career advancement, and educational attainment. You see, in our flesh, church, we exalt ourselves and we seek false saviors. But in the last day none of these things none of the power you can obtain in this lifetime none of the fame that you can obtain in this lifetime no career advancement no title no degree will deliver you from the wrath that is to come to those who do not be who cannot say that God is their God This is why we must let others know about our God It is why we must hear about God and let him lead us to love him verse 30 Jesus says the greatest commandment is that we love God. The word for love is the word agape. It is a word for a self-giving, sacrificial love. Do you find it true in your life that you gladly sacrifice for what you love? We gladly devote ourselves to what we love, do we not? When my daughter was young and had to go to the emergency room and I was worried about... Her When I got the bill and the mail and she was fine, I didn't say, well, golly, I just paid it. I was glad that there was a solution for my daughter's life. I was... Really willing to pay any price in order that Elizabeth would be whole, that she would be well. When Samuel was sick and we went to doctor after doctor after doctor and there was bill after bill after bill. It was not a challenge. Yes, it was financially a strain. But in my heart and my soul, it didn't burden me to pay whatever I had to pay for the sake of my son. Your most joyful sacrifices point to your greatest loves. What do you sacrifice most for? What do you sacrifice most for, truly? Do your sacrifices point to the fact that you love God supremely this morning? Verse 30, if we were to translate it very literally, would say this You shall love the Lord your God from the whole of your heart, from the whole of your soul, from the whole of your mind, from the whole of your might. Our heart represents our emotions. God wants us to feel real, deep, and consuming affection for Him. The soul represents the self, our conception of who we are. When we think about ourselves, God's desire is that we would completely think of ourselves as completely God's. The mind represents our intelligence and our thoughts, which means students, by the way, that God cares how you apply yourself in school. He doesn't want you to go to school and not take it seriously. He doesn't want you to go to college and not care. He wants you to apply yourselves with your mind to your studies. And as an act of worship to God. Strength represents what we desire to do. And what we do with our bodies. In other words, in four words, Jesus has described the whole person. The heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength. God wants all of us all the time. In his sermon, I love you. Sam Storms gives us some diagnostic questions to evaluate our love for the Lord. Is the Lord the all-consuming passion of my life? Do I have a deep, intense, and abiding affection for my Lord? Am I loyal to my God with an exclusive love? Do I resist and even oppose anything or anyone that seeks to do my Lord harm? Am I zealous to defend with grace my Lord's name and His honor? Do I enjoy spending time with my Lord and his people? Do I do things that please my Lord and increase his joy? Do I brag on my Lord to others? Do I tell my Lord that I love him? I love to hear Pastor Hope pray. Pastor Hope so often says, Lord, we love you. Jesus, I love you. Do I tell my Lord that I love him? Do I talk with my Lord as much as I can? Church, we've got to hear who our God is. And we've got to let who our God is lead us to love him. But Jesus isn't done. Look what happens in verse 31. The scribe asks for one commandment, but Jesus gives him two. He doesn't even put the word and the second commandment. He just keeps right on rolling. The second commandment is this. And he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. Now all you super holy Christians have heard your whole life that Leviticus is boring and unimportant. And yet the second greatest command that Jesus quotes from comes out of Leviticus chapter 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he adds this. There's no commandment singular greater than these two plural. In other words, the first and second commandments hang together in such a way that you cannot separate them. Yes, love for God is first. It is the foundational love for all other loves. However, it is impossible to keep the first commandment, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, while you're ignoring the second commandment. John, in First John chapter 4, says we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he's seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. But Jesus doesn't just say that we must love our Brother, he tells us to love our neighbor. Which means where there's supreme love for God, there will be a sincere love for our brothers in Christ, but also for our neighbors. And guess what? It gets trickier than that. It's not just your neighbor, because Jesus redefines neighbor. Over in Luke chapter 10, the scribe asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? You remember that? And what? how does Jesus answer? With the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were... At odds with Jewish people. And Jewish people were at odds with with Samaritans. So Jesus is basically saying. That you've got to love even your enemies. When I say love your neighbors. And in case we doubt that. Luke chapter 6. Jesus puts the cookies on the bottom shelf for all of us. And says this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Terrorists. Violent offenders, criminals, people estranged from us, unlike us, different from us, and even people who wish us harm. In the words of Jesus, they qualify as our neighbors. Church, we will know that we really love God sincerely and trust Him deeply when we genuinely love people who either can't do anything for us in return or who wish us harm in the first place. Jesus says we've got to love our neighbors. But he also says we've got to love our neighbors as ourselves. Hold on a second. Pastor, you preached back in Mark 8 that I'm supposed to deny myself. And now it's just to love myself? Yes. Well, help me out. Well, I'm going to try. You see, there's a self-love that is good. There's a love of self that is not selfish. That is not self-focused or self-absorbed. This is why Jesus does not commend laziness or slothfulness or drunkenness or gluttony. You see, if we let ourselves go or disregard our bodies, we're not going to have much to give to other people. So spiritually, we cannot neglect our private devotions or our involvement in church life because we're too busy loving others. There's some people who are like, I'm out here loving others all the time and I don't need that God stuff. That's switching the commandments on their head and that turns from a proper love of self into a love that is actually selfish. It's twisted. But a proper love of self is foundational to loving others. We love ourselves not out of of a sense of superiority or ego or pride, but because of gratitude to Christ who came and gave his life to redeem our bodies. It's interesting that they've just been talking about bodily resurrection. And Jesus says, yes, there is bodily resurrection. And now he is urging us to love ourselves, which means bodily, taking care of ourselves. Aiken notes this. Because people are the objects of God's creating and redeeming love. To hate myself is an offense to God and calls into question his wisdom and his goodness. Now church, some of you need to hear that. Because some of you are so self-loathing and having a pity party and down on yourself all the time. I'll never amount to anything. I've never done anything good for God. I don't have anything to contribute. Stop it. God sent his son for you. He sent his son to make you new. To atone for the sins of your past. And to give you a life where you are free from guilt and condemnation. Because Christ paid it all. And he made you new. And he's taking you off the sidelines and putting you in the game. Stop it. Some people are incredibly unfulfilled in life. Because they won't get off the couch and get a job. There's some people here today that might need to love yourself by resolving that you're going to walk out of here and you're going to talk to the pastor about that issue that you keep bringing up that prevents you from doing whatever it is God is calling you to do. Some of you might need to walk out of here and say, I'm going to get some professional counseling or I'm going to go to rehab or I'm going to get motivated. I'm finally going to get a job and stop talking about how I'm a victim of everybody else's problem. I'm going to take responsibility for my life. Some of you might need to lose five pounds. Some of you might need to lose 10 or 20 or 30, not because you want to post a picture on Facebook about the transformation of your life, which is okay to do. Praise God, I'm glad you do that. But your primary motivation to do that is because you want more of yourself to be able to give away to others. You want to love God better. You want to love people longer. You want to be able to give your children and your grandchildren more of who you are. And you can't love others as yourself if you refuse to take responsibility for yourself. Loving others as we love ourselves implies an intimate knowledge of others also, by the way. We know ourselves pretty well, don't we? To be sure, God knows us better than we know ourselves. But there's probably not anybody other than yourself... That knows you as well as you do. Maybe your wife or your husband. But in general, you are the authority on yourself. You you know yourself. I mean, I know when my mind works well. And when it works less well. Which is why I do my study and sermon prep during certain hours of the day. Because I want to give God my very best. I want to block that time out. And I want to be locked in like a laser beam to what God wants to show me. Because if I do that at 1130 at night, like I used to in college, the sermon's not going to be very good. I know what shampoo I like. Whoever invented Perk Plus conditioner and shampoo together in one, they're a genius. I mean, it doesn't, I see, I got some nose out there. Doesn't work for you, works for me. Maybe you're a Pantene person, I'm Perk Plus. It works just fine. You know when you brush your teeth, you know what mouthwash you like, what toothpaste does best in your life. There's a million details that you know about yourself that you don't even think about, that you assume every day. To love others as yourself means you've got to be involved in the details of other people's lives. It starts at home, right? Getting to know your kids, getting to know your wife. Showing the world a love that could only come from God. Aiken summarizes it this way. The more that I rightly love myself, the more I will deny myself and love others. I will serve the needs of others with all the energy, passion, and zeal with which I attempt to meet my own needs. And you say, but I'm supposed to love everybody. I can't do that for the whole world. You're exactly right. That's why you need to be a part of a local church. Because in aggregate, as we love the neighbors around us and we commission missionaries to go to the people who don't even know about our God yet, you are a part of a transforming work of neighbor love that God is supernaturally giving to his church. And it's multiplying out across the whole world. And that is what God is doing for you. He is making you a part of a team that is loving neighbor and even enemy as themselves so that they too might know their great God. So what does it mean to love our neighbor? It's, it's not just some abstract, warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Love for neighbor can include our feelings, but it's expressed as action. Loving our neighbor is refusing to gossip. It's going to the person with whom we have a concern. It's giving the same grace to others as you would want from them. In Leviticus 19, loving our neighbor is described in a variety of ways. So in verse 18, Jesus quotes verse 18 of Leviticus chapter 19, but all around that verse, there's all these ways of loving neighbor that Moses gives to us. It's caring for the poor. It's not stealing. It's not lying. It's being fair in business dealings. It's caring for the deaf, caring for the blind, dealing justly with all people. It's avoiding slander, not taking revenge or bearing a grudge against others. And here's one that we may not think of very often because we don't think it's very loving. It is also rebuking your neighbor when necessary for his good and yours. In other words, one of the ways you really know that you love some people is that you will tell them what they need to hear when they don't want to hear it. In other words, loving people sometimes means risking being thought of as unloving. The people who tell you what you want to hear all the time, but they won't tell you what you really need to hear, they don't love you. Love sometimes is hard. By putting the commands to love God and neighbor together, Jesus shows we must do and be what the law is really after, namely we must love, so says Pastor Keller. This is why the scribe says loving God and neighbor is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's quoting from several different places in the Old Testament. Among them, 1 Samuel 15, Isaiah 45, 21, Hosea 6, chapter 6, verse 6. As good, here's, here's what the scribe is letting us in on. As good as it is. To bring God a sacrifice or to do the sacred acts of worship that he has given to us. They don't have any meaning unless they are expressions of a supreme love for God that naturally gives rise to a genuine love for neighbor. Can we be honest for a moment this morning? It's almost afternoon. We've got a problem. You know what the problem is? Who does this? Who does this? I mean, God says, I want you to love me, not just with your heart, but the preposition in the original language is from. He wants something that emanates from who we are at the heart, mind, soul, strength level. He seeks a love that flows Out of us, which causes us to love him wholly, ourselves rightly, and others sacrificially. As Ferguson writes, God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole lives for the duration of our lives. Who does that? I mean, I was at Dick's Sporting Goods at 1030 this Saturday because my daughter had a swim meet, And it was her first one ever, and her swim cap ripped. I had a little hole in the swim cap. What are we gonna do? Filling up with water, slowing her down. Don't want her to be slowed down in her first swim meet ever. What's dad gonna do? Dad is gonna figure out a way to get there even though he's already running late. And I'm gonna go find a silicone swim cap that won't pull her hair out and make her miserable. It's gonna be perfect. And I get there and I can't find the swim cap. So I circle the whole store. They're in this one little aisle hidden away from everything go ask the lady. The lady helps me. I go back, I find it. And then I've got a decision to make because there's like 75 different colors and types. And do I want, want composite silicone or real silicone? I don't know. So I'm calling Stacy. Does it matter which one of these I get? So. The clock's ticking. We have to leave my house at 11 o'clock. I got there after 10.30. I've been circling the store a couple times. I've asked for help. Now I'm back there. And I'm dizzy with decisions to make. There's nobody in the store. So I finally make a decision. I run to the counter. And guess what? Somehow there was one other person in the store. And the price, she was convinced, was wrong on her product. And it's the only lane open. And I'm standing there and like a laser beam God said love your neighbor as yourself wasn't my first thought wasn't even my second or third or fourth thought church who does this nobody does this all the time perfectly Which is why in verse 34, the scribe stops evaluating Jesus and now Jesus evaluates the scribe. And what he says to the scribe is it's not enough to get the information in our heads right about who we must love and worship supremely. And then the fact that we must love even our enemies as ourselves. Because when we get that right in our heart and soul, we can do nothing but be convicted. We're almost in the kingdom when we've been convicted of our failings. But the only one who is the solution to our failure to love God completely and entirely the whole time is the one who did it for us. And his name is Jesus. From the time that he was born, he never sinned. He lived a die, a death that we deserve to die. And he walked to the cross for you. And he showed you faithfulness in the middle of in the midst of great cost in the midst of great controversy Jesus is someone who we need because he's greater than even the greatest commandment the way, the truth and the life is standing in front of the scribe and notice what happens when Jesus says you're this close to the kingdom of God no more questions are even ventured to be asked Jesus is the end of your questions Jesus is all your hope and all your stay. He's your sacrifice and your substitute. He is your entrance into the kingdom of God. And when you give your life to Him, He will fill your life with new desires and new appetites and new tastes. And He will help you to love God completely. And when you fail, He will pick you up and dust you off and give you renewed energy to go after it all over again. So I want to ask you this morning, friend, you've heard the Scriptures, you've known the commandments, and yet you've not given your life to Jesus, the one who gets you into the kingdom of God. Here's the question Why not give your life to Jesus? Why not give your all to Him? Might this be the day that you stop relying on? on doing good deeds that you will surely fail to do and start relying on the one who paid the price for you.